welcome to the Psychology of Case Management podcast. This is very exciting. It's our first episode. My name is Dr. Shabnam Berry Khan. I'm the Director of PsychWorks Associates and SBK Case Management, making me a clinical psychologist and a case manager exclusively in the personal injury world. And this entire podcast series is kind of combining the two of these ideas together. And this first podcast is very much so thinking about the basis of the work that we do. I'm borrowing from psychology, but absolutely know that it has a relevance and a function in the personal injury world. Whether you are a case manager, whether you're a solicitor, whether you are a therapist or a member of the care team, that the very foundation of the work we do and the outcomes that we can expect as a result of the work we do is based on one thing and one thing alone, which is the strength of the relationship that we have with our clients. In clinical psychology, we call that therapeutic alliance. In fact, in any psychology branch, in fact, I shouldn't own that just as a clinical psychology thing. Um, We call it therapeutic alliance. But in non-psychology terms, I guess we mean the working relationship or rapport or the bond that we form. The idea of this podcast and certainly the work that we do at PsychWorks is suggesting that the relationship that we as an individual professional have with our clients is a very fundamental element uh, of that sort of building block. But it's also about building the relationship with our legal colleagues. It's also about building that relationship with um, the care team and the therapy teams that are around our clients and of course families indeed as well. But as always some of these very fundamental ideas can sometimes be quite hard to define and make sense of. So that's what I think we're going to try and achieve today in this podcast. I'm joined by one of our senior associates at PsychWorks Associates, Dr. Alice Nichols, uh, who will pop up a number of times in the podcast series. Um, She's very experienced with a number of different areas and, and has dedicated a lot of her clinical work to working with personal injury clients. So she feels like a very good person to to talk and unpick some of these ideas with. So welcome, Dr. Alice Nichols. Oh, hello. Thank you for having me. So therapeutic alliance uh, sounds like a big word, doesn't it? (laughs) I mean, it's a real mouthful to say. But really what we mean is rapport, emotional bond, working relationship. Different professionals call it different things, but it's definitely there, isn't it, in every sort of professional relationship with our clients yeah I think um I think most uh of the MDT members will will be taught some some kind of this in their training some kind of level of this when we talk about being client-centered or we talk about you know being able to have a work a working relationship with somebody and and I, I remember um back in training just being taught the words of unconditional positive regard and that being the foundation one of the therapy styles that actually underpins most of modern day therapy which is um, person-centered counseling actually very very basic like listening skills and coming alongside people that's always been the foundation of therapy but I think it's the foundation of any positive working relationship yeah I think that's a really interesting point we're not asking we're not suggesting that people ought to suddenly become counselors but there is something very human I suppose 
about being able to offer unconditional positive regard and to listen um, and to be client centered, I suppose. Um, everyone mm. wants to be, uh, you know, sort of the center of their engagements as a client with you as a professional. And so in a way, it's almost an unspoken, un- unwritten rule, maybe. I don't know. Is that probably a bit too too much to say? No, I think it's, I think you've made a really important point there because we all kind of know that the client's the centre of what we're doing and why we're doing it. But it's very easy as professionals to go into a client's world with an agenda. So we've, we've yeah. had a referral. We know what we think they need. We know what the case manager thinks they need, what the solicitor thinks they need. And we can go in there and actually want to just do it. We want to just treat them for PTSD or we want to help them with their issues with staffing. And, and actually, that might not be what's going on in the client's mind at all. So actually, if we go in there with that agenda and with them, without sitting down and coming alongside them, working out what's important to them, we're automatically like setting up a relationship where we're not working with them um, and they're Mm. not necessarily being heard from the get-go. So no, I think this has to be the foundation of everything that we do is to come in and to build that relationship, that alliance. So they know that we're on the same side as them. Yeah, and I, I've got to say, when I when I put my psychology hat on, I'm totally with you, because the 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 work we do does build has that built into it almost as a sort of, uh, you know, sort yeah. of ongoing theme. But when you're a case manager, certainly for me, I've I've really found that we can be so practically practical, goal focused. Um, mm. that the you know that the litigation process is going on that though that that has a timetable that there are things that need to be done that to spend the time if you like beyond the first few meetings perhaps focusing on what is that rapport building or developing that emotional bond can feel a bit like it's it gets in the way yeah I can really see that. If, um, if it's all right, I'd like to just give you a, a little example of um, a therapeutic life. Yeah. I think this really fits in here for me. Because, yeah, I think often we think it's going to take more time to, you know, to, to, to get to know the client and to develop that alliance. But there's actually stuff that's really important that you're doing, like, right away, really. But, yeah, when I was in training, they gave us an exercise to do where we were put into pairs. They were, I guess they were supposed to be, like, a therapist-client pairs. And we were given a pencil. And we were told we needed to hold the pencil between us. So we, we each held up our index finger and we held the pencil between our two index fingers, so my index finger and the other person's index finger. Mm-hmm. And we were then told to pick a space in the room that we needed to, that we wanted to go to, not to tell the other person where it was, but to try and get them to get there without letting the pencil drop. Oh, so wow. you needed <laughs> to both be exerting the similar levels of pressure on that pencil, otherwise it was going to drop. So obviously if you yeah. pull away from them, the pencil's going to drop. If they pull away from you, the pencil's going to drop. So there's a whole bunch of psychology trainees standing in this room with pencils between their fingers and um, no one wants to move. So no one's Mm. going where they want to go because they're scared this pencil's going to drop. And then, of course, you might be thinking, actually, I'm going to try and get them to go over there. But if they try and go where they want to go and you try and go where you want to go, the pencil drops and you've lost your therapeutic relationship. And of course, over time, you figure out that actually, if you just go where they want to go, then at least they get where they want to go. But what I didn't really realise until it happened was actually once you do that and you go where they want to go, 
they've been very happy to go where you want to go because they've they've been where they needed to go they've done it and they can then they've then actually got the time for you because you've gone with them they'll then come back with you and the pencil's not getting dropped so I mean in this example the pencil is the therapeutic alliance and I think sometimes we go and see clients and actually there might be a really important case management task you need to do with them I'm trying to think what it might be but um I'm sure as case management you much better idea than I have of like an important task you might need to do but actually recruit recruit for you know for 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 a carer position for a support worker position or something you know something that's important fundamental to the work we do but um you know you want to recruit staff yeah you want to recruit staff and um, it's really important and it's actually pretty urgent Mm. but they're really bothered about someone parking in their car parking space and to them, that's a really big deal. And maybe it's a big deal for all sorts of reasons that have nothing to do with the car parking space. But um, it can be very easy to come in and be like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, just need to recruit. Um, but actually, if that's not important to them, if that's not on their radar, if that's not where their head is at right there and then, they're not going to do the things you need them to do. They're not going to get on board with what you're doing. They're not going to do the bits you maybe need them to do independently of you. And um, neither of you are going to be moving anywhere with your goals. Whereas if you sit down and you listen to the car parking problem and you do a bit of problem solving with them, maybe you write a letter to someone or you you phone a buildings manager or something, you know, whoever it is, you know, whatever needs to happen to fix the problem. Then, yeah, it might not feel like a top priority, but actually you've built rapport with that client. And actually the next time you see them, they are happy to talk about recruitment. Yeah, it's really interesting when you were talking about the, the, the pencil analogy. I can really see how sometimes it feels a bit like um, paralysis between Mm. you and your client that actually we don't know how to move forward because they have a position, I have a position and we're unable to, to kind of move off the starting block even or wherever we've, you know, wherever we've stopped in order to be able to, to do anything. So in some ways, I suppose, even if you're not doing the thing you as a professional think the client ought to be doing, um, mm-hmm. doing whatever your client wants you to do first allows, I mean, paralysis is possibly, possibly the worst position to be in. Yeah. Um, not doing anything as a case manager feels incredibly scary, but doing something that feels like it fits the client at least feels like it gets us off this, that, that, that stuck position. But as you're saying, very much so it will open up the option to then do whatever the case manager feels or the legal team would like the clients to do you're building up that rapport and that relationship yeah. as well so the client is starting yeah. to see you as someone they can trust someone who is useful to them and someone who mm. is on their side so it it might feel like it's a waste of time because actually car parking is pretty irrelevant as far as you know as far as the, the, the picture is concerned but actually it's just it's just bought you this relationship with the client um and you you know you've got their attention Mm. and they're starting to think you're you're a useful person for them to be involved with I guess ultimately it's the power of being acknowledged and validated and and heard which brings back you know brings us back to the original unconditional positive regard and the the listening um and being client focused um which you said right at the beginning because I suppose the idea of kind of connecting with our client's pain or upset or or suffering is why we do what we do 
And that might obviously it presents on, on a much bigger level in terms of their injury and the impacts of their injury and moving their life as a whole forward. But I suppose you could also apply that to the micro pains and sufferings that they experience, um, which may well be about the parking point, the parking spots or um, something equally difficult for them to endure on a daily basis, but can become quite big and tricky um, when you're trying to focus on some of those bigger issues as a professional. I'm minded of how how it's important then as a a case manager and, and other um, clinicians working with our clients need to think about the impact really of trauma on the therapeutic alliance and how much harder it is then uh, to, to create that therapeutic alliance with someone who has a trauma background. That's a really good point. I think we have to bear in mind when we go into people's lives as professionals, their previous experience of professionals, and not even just professionals, but maybe even their parents, the people who have been meant to be looking after them in the future, in the past, and maybe haven't. I see this a lot in medical malpractice cases. So actually people have had really difficult experiences of um, medical treatment where they haven't been heard or their needs haven't been met. And um, they, you know, they're living the consequences of that. And of course, if there's litigation as well, people might, you know, it, it might be that you know, things have been argued about and um, it's left the client feeling that people haven't met their needs and they haven't heard and they've been hurt as a result of that. So, mm-hmm. so actually in that scenario, it can be really difficult to trust uh, any kind of professional coming into their life, saying they're there to help them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the words safety and containment mm-hmm. spring to mind. Yeah, Um, yeah, they need to feel safe with you. And that's not necessarily an easy thing to achieve. But you're not going to get very far at all until they feel safe. Yeah, yeah. I I kind of wonder if um, sometimes I I hear other case managers talking about how it feels very difficult to follow the client because there's a sense of the client's emotional response to their situation in that moment being the reason for why we therefore can't move forward in a sort of goal focused litigation focused way and how that it can make a case manager feel sort of manipulated Mm. um and I suppose there is a fine line between feeling manipulated you know and, and feeling like the emotions are driving the client perhaps in a way that uh, or or the, the 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 work with the case manager in a way that isn't perhaps I suppose genuine to the the situation or there's something about it not being massively honest perhaps mm-hmm. um, and it, using it as a distraction and I'm I'm curious about how how a psychologist would advise a sort of case manager in that position who has a sort of sense of, hmm, there's a lot of emotion here, but I'm not sure if, uh, if by sitting here listening to all of it, I'm, I'm, I'm building on a therapeutic alliance or am I just being taken on a bit of a ride? Oh yeah, that's really tricky when it, when those feelings get evoked in us, it's really tricky. And it, um, I think when those feelings are evoked, it is really helpful to take it to supervision actually and just check it out and check what's coming from the client and what's coming from, from you. But I would say when a client evokes strong feelings in her, I would always try and think about what is being what's being communicated in, you know, in, in that. Are they communicating a need? Are they testing to see whether or not you are safe? 
and they're testing to see how you're going to react. And it, that can feel quite manipulative, but I think it's important to see it as um, a need being communicated. So they are communicating a need to test whether or not you're safe. They are communicating maybe that they don't feel safe or that they have all these emotions they'd like to see how, how you would manage them, whether you are someone who can contain the emotional stuff that they're, they're bringing to the relationship. The yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think um, when something doesn't feel quite genuine or it feels a bit misplaced, it's okay to note to notice that it doesn't feel quite genuine or quite all, but, but I would still let it play out and see what happens. I would, I would you know, I would, um, I would, I would take notes, but but um, bear in mind the client's vulnerability in that relationship and actually how they might need to test out whether or not you're safe for them. Mm. I suppose um, in that sense, um, when you talk about genuine, and we talked about honesty, um, I suppose you as a as a professional as a clinician bring that to the table as well this isn't mm. just about I think the therapeutic alliance is a two-way street in that sense mm. like it, it only works best if you are yourself as a professional being genuine being open and honest about the impact of the relationship on you and that isn't to say that you know that there, there are no sort of, there's the professionalism is lost in any way but I just mm. mean actually it feels like we're not able to move you know I don't feel like we've been moving forward the last few sessions or you know I know we've, yeah. we've been talking about x y and z but I'm very mindful that we do need to think about also a b and c and th there is space within the therapeutic alliance I guess I'm trying to say where you bring your uh, needs professional yeah. needs to the table as well and that's okay yeah, and actually, it's it's actually really important to name that sometimes. And actually, you know, you could say that about the what you're feeling in the room as well. You could say, I'm noticing a lot of feelings in the room right now, and I'm wondering what's going on. I'm wondering what's going on for you, and I'm aware that you know I've I've got this agenda, and I you know I've got all these things that I need to do, or that I think I need to do, or that are on the timetable of things that need doing. And I wonder how that feels for you. You know, does that yeah, what's your experience of this, this list that we've got or this task at hand? How does it feel that I'm coming in here and I'm asking you to do all this stuff? And yeah. actually naming it like that can open up. It, it, it kind of gives them permission to say what the problem is with it or where they're at and why they're struggling with it. It makes me think about a little bit about sort of the, the idea of being values-led. Um, yeah for not just the client obviously um but for you as a professional as well mm. that it, it kind of brings you back to the kind of that your basic needs I suppose as a you know in this relationship and what are we kind of it allows us then to be able to focus on what the goal is you know what are we mm. trying to aim at together we have these different experiences and these different elements that we're bringing together dumping it sort of on this table that we call the therapeutic alliance or the therapeutic space mm. um, and what sense are we going to make out of all of this to also get us to a shared goal end yeah. point that's really nice to be really transparent about what your agenda is and actually mm. allow the client space to bring to bring their agenda as well um, mm. say you know what do you want to sort out <laughs> these are the things that I think need to be sorted out but what do you think and what do you think needs to be sorted out just being crystal clear about what about why is you're there and allowing them to be I guess equally crystal clear about about what it is that they want from you because they might not be the same but actually there's, 
if it's out there, you can start to collaborate on on what you're both able to do for each other. Hmm. Yes, collab- collaboration. That's um, that's a word we haven't used, but feels <laughs> exactly mm. um, what, what the whole therapeutic alliance is about it isn't it's a collaborative effort it's and thinking about safety as well you know actually telling them what to expect from you and I think that's that's a really important Mm. thing if someone doesn't feel very safe you can say this is my role this is what my plan is this is what I'd like to do with you and this is kind of what you can expect from me actually something we were speaking about earlier today I I think um, the client needing to know that what you're doing for them is because you want to help them so framing everything in terms of how it's going to be helpful for them and how you want to help them rather than because the solicitor says we have to do this this and this you know it's very easy to kind of make it all external stuff that needs to happen to the client but actually being really clear about the rationale and making it because it's in the client's best interest and because actually you've got a genuine compassion for the client and their situation that's also like a kind of narrative that needs to develop to help them to feel safe and contained in the relationship yeah 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 absolutely and I suppose the sort of cultural religious um factors and and experiences would need to come in that would would come under that same sort of umbrella yeah. wouldn't it um I you know I think having a curiosity um you know reasonable curiosity about that and um and not making assumptions and you know being able to bring all aspects of somewhat of of a person into um how they experience their priorities and their and where their values come from I suppose is is also incredibly important that's a really good point because actually there could be something in your plan that is just not going to work for them Mm. and and, and actually there'll be um something else that would work I'm sure yeah there but actually sometimes there's an element of the language that we're using or there's a point in the plan that actually is just never going to work for them and it needs that that needs to kind of be talked about as early as possible yeah in some ways being able to talk about some of these sort of client oriented points I guess it just ultimately it helps you become more approachable that lots of things can be talked about and all those things can be talked about with a sense of openness and Mm. respect and it helps us appear much more human which can only be a good thing (laughs) because I suppose we're much more likable then and that makes a big difference and equal you know like likable on a sort of equal footing I suppose to some degree which I think it helps I guess in in a way it just I guess it helps make the relationship a bit more balanced um yeah which I, th- I can imagine would well I know can make some of our clients feel much more um in control of yeah the the direction and the future of the relationship certainly with their case manager and I guess with their solicitor who are so important in this litigation journey that they have embarked on either for themselves or for their family member but I guess also we we within that we need to remain boundaried and professional as well and I guess it's about giving you know self-disclosure enough of of a self-disclosure for them to see that you're human and fallible to help build that human approachable persona um yeah. but it it's not giving away too much um because actually we're not here for us um mm-hmm. we're here for our clients and it's quite I, th- I find as a case manager it can be quite hard to be boundaries 
I know I'm coming yeah. from a very boundary profession as a psychologist into a much more relaxed, informal setting as a case manager. Um, so I find that sometimes my boundaries can be challenged a little bit. I think it's about knowing where that is for me without impacting negatively on the therapeutic alliance. And I've had to really work at that over time. Yeah. Um, and I think I've got a balance that allows me to maintain a good relationship now. And it's different for each person. I do appreciate. But I think it is worth investing the time into thinking about that because we all come from different as case managers and we do come from very different clinical backgrounds. Um, and so where our boundaries are um, and what we understand as professionalism, you know, might might feel very different when we're practicing as case managers. But that's all yeah. part of part and parcel of the development of that therapeutic alliance. Yeah, and I, I agree. There's something about actually sharing a little bit to make yourself, you know, human and relatable, but not enough that the client is worrying about you or thinking about your needs in the relationship. No. I mean, other than the professional, like, these are the jobs I've been told I need to do, kind of me. Yeah. But no, you want them to be you want them to be absolutely central. And I think, yeah, I think the thing I was thinking about is, is that they don't have to worry about your needs. Because I guess if you no. give them any kind of level of information, it's going to then make them think, oh, I wonder what, what's that like for her? Because I, I know she's got a toddler or something like that. Depending on the scenario, you know, you don't want them to be worrying about you or holding you in mind. But no. you want them to, to know that you're human and that, you know, you, you kind of you get what it is to be human. You don't, yeah. And you don't want to appear perfect either, because that's, that's not relatable. <laughs> There's nothing more off-putting than a perfect person, a perfect yeah. seeming person. <laughs> No, exactly. The Therapeutic Alliance for me is definitely one that I feel probably can be summed up as a relation, an emotional relationship that the stronger or the greater the Therapeutic Alliance, the more likely it is that you're going to achieve better outcomes. And it's the strength of the, ther the therapeutic alliance is a better predictor of those outcomes than whatever tool we do or don't use um, or whatever goal we focus on first or second. At the end of the day, it will be overall a more positive experience and with, a po with positive outcomes for our clients. And for us, I think, you know, holding us within that relationship, the other part of that half you know the the, the the other half of that that um, bond it's likely to be protective to us as case managers as well that we're going to feel like this is a client where when the telephone rings I'm not going to go oh god <laughs> no not them again it's probably going to be met with a lot more positivity and perhaps even you know oh it's lovely to hear from that person perhaps um, mm. the relationship is going to be more sustainable and is going to be able to handle any bumps that come along inevitably will come along uh, with the journey, particularly in litigation and any clumsiness. I think that's the the other bit that I feel it can do. It can it can help tolerate if I say something clumsily. Um, and certainly there have been times where I've said things clumsily to clients that I have a good relationship with and they've just forgiven it. Uh, whereas the clients that I struggle with, I think, oh, crikey, this could be the make or break because... I just don't, I haven't quite got it right with them yet. But, but it's a work in progress. That's the other thing I feel about Therapeutic Alliance. It's not something that you just do and then you can say, right, I've done it. 
um, like the foundations of a house you know if you don't get yeah, that wouldn't right, it be amazing if it was it'd be amazing if it was but no and I think that's that's part of the the secret is that it's something that you need to keep checking in on because if you've missed something important it's going to have a, an impact on the therapeutic alliance so you do need to keep checking where it's at and then um, you know just making sure that you've not lost sight of your client and their needs because it, it is easy to do that you know when we, we're in such a kind of goal-driven world you know the way we everything is contracted there's a goal isn't there and there's an aim and actually it's really easy to lose our clients in that and to lose their humanity and and our, our relationship with them absolutely and ourselves in that I suppose um yeah. to think of it as a reflective experience as much as a, a sort of a relationship that we're building specifically for our clients with them and for them but actually it's it's with us and for us as well um because we we want to achieve things with them for them so you know for our audience members who are listening and thinking yeah that's all very good and well therapeutic alliance we all you know sort of know that and it's been you know helpful to have that reiterated but how you know how do you improve your therapeutic alliance how do you think about therapeutic alliance do you have any strategies that you you might recommend as a psychologist talking to a case manager? Yeah, so I guess I would just say start it from the very moment you begin. That needs to be the priority when you're meeting a client for the first time is to build that rapport um, and then to carry on throughout your time together. So, yeah, I guess yeah. that's so, so it's not something that you can sort of either do just at the beginning and then forget about it equally it's best if you start it right at the beginning and carry it through because it just needs that it needs that connection constantly or reconnection as yeah. as, um, as a relationship develops and and the um, the work progresses yeah yeah okay. and then I, I guess I would periodically then ask yourself like I guess as part of that check in check in with the relationship and you can do that by ask yourself do you feel at ease with this client do you feel comfortable with this client do you feel like you can ask them about a difficult a difficult topic you know do, do you feel like you can ask them about why they're struggling with something in their rehab or does it feel like there's a barrier there does it feel like actually there's things that can't be talked about in the relationship and it might be that you actually ask them about that you actually say what well, what's working well in the relationship so actually I've noticed we're doing really well on this part of our work together and that's going well you know how why is this easy for us why is this going so well um and then I've also noticed there's this other part of our, our goals that we're just not really making any progress with and we feel really stuck and I wonder what's going on there so you can actually ask them about it mm. and you can ask it in terms of the, the, the goals and the things that you're working on but you could actually ask them about you could also ask them more directly about the relationship so actually when do you find it difficult working together you know what's what's going on then and what needs to change um you know what what could I do differently that would make it easier for you are they coming to you with their problems is another really nice measure if, they, mm. if they're, they're coming to you and saying I've got this problem maybe with parking space um but maybe something else you know if they're coming to you with the problem it shows that they trust you and they're finding you helpful yeah, no, it's a really, it's really helpful questions, actually, to ask ourselves, because that, again, uh, brings in the reflective element, which is um, something I always try and, har- well, I tend to harp on about. <laughs> Don't try to, I just do. <laughs> but one of the, um, well, one thing I liked about that point um, was that actually it's worth asking those questions 
even when things are going well, because that is a massive clue into what works. It doesn't yeah. have to be a question, the set of questions that you ask yourself when things are not going, just when things are not going well. It can be sometimes harder to identify that. And it's it's hard to ask those questions when things are a bit rubbish with your clients at times. And you're thinking, oh, I really just don't want to even answer the simple questions, let alone the complex ones, like what's working or what can make this better? You know, yeah, that's what, a really you know, nice point. When you liked me once upon a time, what was good about Yeah. Ah. <laughs> oh, yeah, and actually, that's a really lovely conversation to have when things are going well. Yeah. Say, so, oh, yeah, we totally nailed that. You know, how, what made that work for you? Um, and actually, everyone's having quite a, a nice conversation now, aren't they? Yeah, that's yeah. a really lovely point. Good. Okay, brill. But because there, there are times where it's all going to go a bit, you know, wrong. and that's okay I guess that's that's a a good final point is that um when things go wrong that's not actually necessarily a bad thing um Mm. because actually we can we can then show them that actually we can repair the relationships if we make a mistake and we can then go in and apologize and say I'm really sorry I I did that and um you know or I'm sorry that didn't go the way I hoped it was going to go and I'm, I'm sorry if that's made things more difficult for you in the short term or if that was um distressing or anxiety provoking for you um you're modeling that it's okay to get things wrong and that the relationship can survive that so they can make a mistake they can ask a question that feels a bit risky and actually even if they get it wrong you are going to tolerate that the relationship has the the strength to tolerate people doing things that maybe they shouldn't weren't quite right or were a bit misjudged and um and you know you won't hold it against each other and actually we know that relationships where there is rupture and repair are stronger because of that because they they are tested and people feel confident that they can withstand the test you know if we only get on with someone and we've only ever had nice times with them and we've only ever done exactly what the other person wants there's this real kind of fear that actually if we were to take a step away from that and we weren't to give the other person exactly what they wanted that it might all come crumbling down and we don't know we don't know that for sure but that's the risk um so it's really important that they know it's okay to make mistakes and that actually the relationship will survive yeah yeah that's that feels like it it would extend beyond the professional client relationship absolutely you know like relate you know personal relationships you know romantic whatever partner relationships children anything it's it's uh that's crucial isn't it rupture and repair Um, yeah that's how it goes in order to progress I guess because it can't always be hunky-dory it can't always be fine that's brilliant so thank you so much for those three strategies I think they feel very as a case from a case management perspective really helpful to think about starting from the beginning and being continuous with it because that that will help build that sustainable more sustainable relationships as you go as you go along and asking yourself those questions you know how comfortable I am I and what's working what's not working um um, will my client be able to come with me to me with a problem? That's a sample of some of the questions that you suggested, and um, the rupture and repair idea. It's okay to um, have to repair a relationship that that needs it. I can think mm. of one client experience that I had probably about four years ago, and it it was a, it was a tricky situation, um, and I I think Mum described it as me betraying her because I talked to her 
about, which is a big word, betrayal. I talked to her about uh, having to think about how uh, support workers might feel like uh, calling the police if her son's behaviours are not better managed, which is something that I had been trying to think with her about. And she was really upset because she genuinely thought that the police would never do anything to her son because he has a brain injury. Mm. Um, Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. And that someone who presents with at-risk behaviours is someone who is seen as someone who presents with at-risk behaviours and and, the, and some protection is needed towards those people that those behaviours are being aimed at. Mm. Um, even if those, that person is her as mum, I would say now my best client relationship is with that mum. Um, yeah. It took a little while. I'm not going to pretend and it wasn't comfortable and it wasn't easy. There was a time where I genuinely thought this is, um, this may not improve but I did stick at it I did try and do that sort of little and reflective analysis and I did have a couple of conversations with her about it but once the scab had become a scar rather Mm -hmm. than you know sooner like too soon after and I think that the timing was important in that sense and things are great she's she and I get on incredibly well she's someone who will call and I'll think oh it'd be nice to speak to her because it's been a while and I know we got an email the other day Um, I suspect she's calling about that and that's fine and it's a really it's lovely to be able to say that um, about a client relationship but I I I know that that's not always the case with all my clients unfortunately but a good therapeutic client feels so lovely when you get it right that it's totally worth investing in you know, I have to I have to remember that. And I definitely do um, try and bring that into every trickier relationship that I, I have um, with some of my clients, that it is yeah. possible. It's a really nice point. It actually makes our job nicer too, doesn't it? It's, um, it obviously yeah. makes things a lot better for the client, but it makes our yeah. jobs much less stressful and much, much um, nicer to go to. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think longevity in my work for me is... It sounds a bit strange, but it's part of my business plan. <laughs> it yeah. does not work. My business does not work well if I am not functioning well. And if there's anything I can do to make me feel less stressed and to be able to be firing on as many cylinders as possible for my clients, that's all good. That cannot be a bad thing. And I know it sounds like a strange thing to say. It's all part of my business plan. But, you know, the name of the game is keeping keeping me sane as well in yeah. this you know stressful world it Um, needs to be sustainable doesn't it and if it's sustainable if it's sustainable for you then it means you're going to be able to show up and be there for your clients isn't it yeah absolutely oh that's great thank you so much for your time and for your insight into the psychological ideas behind the therapeutic alliance and for sharing some of those ideas that's brilliant Well, that takes us to the end of our first podcast. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And we look forward to you tuning in again. Bye for now. Before you go, if you enjoyed the episode today, I'd really appreciate it if you could rate it on whatever platform you're listening on and share and like on your social media profiles. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow and to be a continuous resource for all. And if there's any topic you wish for us to cover, please drop us a line on our website. Thank you so much for all your support. 